What's up, everybody? Welcome to a live edition of the podcast. We're going to talk about some really interesting stuff with respect to living our greatest life and optimizing time. And something that really comes front of mind for me to discuss today is I'm sitting here writing a 15-day, effectively like a Kickstarter plan for people to kickstart their fat loss journey. And I think most people in this world, when they start a nutrition plan or a transformation, go right after calories, right? They go right after like, hey, let's decrease calories. And some people go right after exercise. And both of those are relevant. And what I'm writing here, and I'd love to actually have a discussion with some experts about this, actually, we can find somebody who's, who's an expert in this, so let's talk about it. But I think there's a problem in that approach. I think there's an inherently a, a flaw in the thinking. So if you look at someone's reasons for over-consuming, Typically, it's mostly to do with either habit, situation, or stress, right? So why do we eat? Well, it's a habit. It's unconscious. Or it's a situational thing where maybe it's social or maybe it's with friends or maybe it's when you're in your parents' house or maybe it's when you're at a dinner or it's stressful. So those are my – maybe there's more, but those are the three kind of primary triggers for people either eating, overeating. And you could also argue hunger and and people would say, hey, you know, like – I, I consume a lot of food when I feel hungry. And so I included that in this document as well. And the exploration of those factors is very important. And, and now none of those necessarily necessitate eating, right? Those just necessitate awareness. And so I'm in a situation and I'm in this habit of eating or I, I want to be social and I want to have certain situations and I think or certain actions. And I think it's important that as we explore a transformation, what the real objective of a transformation is, obviously to create a lasting change, not a temporary change, right? I want to create a change that's permanent. And taking away somebody's calories decreases their willpower, increases the likelihood for overeating junk, increases their stress, decreases their coping mechanism for stress, and literally sets them up for failure. So I'm really exploring it in this document. You know, this document, which was supposed to be 10 pages, is now turned into 21, and which often happens. So I'm going to send it to you and you can, you you can, hack, you can hack it away. But yeah, so trying to give people a thought process here around like, hey, instead of mindlessly, and Maureen, who just jumped on, will attest to this, instead of um, you know mindlessly decreasing calories, and I'll talk about why I say that about Maureen in a second, there should be some, some interventions there to help people with coping with the things in their life that are the triggers. So that's really what I'm trying to write into this document or what I'm writing into this document. It's like, hey, guys, instead of myopically focusing on calories, which is setting most people up to fail, 5% of people will succeed because you give them a plan, they'll succeed. The problem is afterwards, they're going to revert back. But the rest of these people will maybe make two steps forward and then three steps back and end up being fatter and worse off than they were before because they've also lost muscle. So rather than looking at the mechanics of fat loss and saying, hey, you got to be in a caloric deficit, you got to do cardio, like those things are here too. But I don't think anyone should start a transformation program in a caloric deficit. I just don't think it makes any sense. I think you should spend the first four, eight, 12 weeks even really focused on behavior change, really focused on creating the thoughts, the habits, and the beliefs that are conducive to where you want to go. And that's, you know, if people have noticed my kind of slightly more frequent posting in the most intelligence communities, just because I'm really just taking slabs of this document I'm creating and posting it and unedited, obviously. but. I think this is a really important lesson for people to learn is like, if I want to make a million dollars or save a million dollars, you know, saying, hey, let's just take money out of what you're currently making. Maybe that adds a whole bunch of stress to your life, but maybe figuring out some other way to decrease expenditures, right? First, you know, if if I'm trying to save money, well, it's first, let's pull away those expenditures that you don't necessarily need. And then we can start saving money. And again, I don't know if that's a perfect analogy for that or not, but just this idea of giving people the thought 
the strategies and the action items to start changing those things that are the triggers. First, you have to have the awareness around why do I overeat? Why do we eat bad foods? And then most of this time it's habits, most of the time it's unconscious. So bringing those things to the surface and giving them the coping strategies and coping mechanisms to change. So when I speak of Maureen, Maureen's a client of mine or was a client of mine and hopefully we'll spend some time reconnecting on it. But the thing with Maureen was we didn't do a lot with shifting her calories. We just started implementing all these things that she didn't even realize were stress modulating activities. So the daily walks, the breathing, the bolt score, you know, her bolt score went from 15 to 25. And she goes, you know, I'm not sure why, but my stress just feels better. My perceived level of stress is much lower. And I'm like, oh, okay, even though you don't realize it, things are happening and things are changing. So then your likelihood to eat those bad foods goes down. All of a sudden, bang, my body composition changes without me having to go into some overly restrictive eating, without me having to change my psychological association with food, right? So food for many people becomes this reward mechanism where I do something good and I reward myself. And whereas it doesn't have to be that if you just learn to kind of give people these intervention strategies, um, finding where that point of breakdown happens in their life and saying, hey, when you become aware of this, try this instead. And you know, it seems like most people out there are failing at diet plans. And anyone on the podcast want to want to comment on this? And, and if you fail in something in the past, tell me why. So we can help me improve this document. I can maybe help walk through some of the solutions, some of the action plans. But this is really what I'm exploring is rather than making it mechanical and mechanistic like so many people are, we're going to make it much more behavior oriented, identity oriented, right? So if you identify as someone who walks around a 20% body fat all the time, that will forever be your identity. So how do we start getting into that unconscious and changing that identity, which then winds back into your beliefs, habits, and your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So your beliefs, habits, and your thoughts form your identity. If your identity is you walk around 20% body fat all the time, that will always unconsciously be your default until we can start tapping into those habits, thoughts, and beliefs. Okay, that's a lot. I got a lot of questions, Banks. Let's see what I can remember. First, not a lot of preamble in this Q&A today. So hi, Ben, how are you doing? <laughs> People are just, we're just getting right into it. Okay, I do have a lot of questions about this program though, because we've been talking about this kind of approach offline and I've actually been doing, you inspired me to try and kind of up my engagement and how I can help people this month with the quarantine. And so a friend of mine, Rachel, as you know, a friend of yours too, Rachel, she's big in the keto for women world. We created a private Facebook group similar to what you've got going on on a smaller scale with women. And we're helping kind of support each other through this period and answering questions and talking. And this topic is coming up, the idea of, I think some of the things that you're talking about too, there's like this, the mental aspect of it more than just here's a prescription for how to eat or how to work out. You need to understand what your goal is, why you have that goal, and then talk about behavior changes versus just following rules and following the plans that someone else set out for you. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about and touch on, on the work that you're doing, because it's actually also correlates a lot to a post that you did on social media recently that really took off. People really were resonating with it is this idea that like meditation, following a plan, reading a book, that isn't where you grow and get better and, and find success. It's taking this stuff, taking all the stuff that you're learning or absorbing or trying to internalize and actually doing something with it. So my question then is how does somebody take the program or the work or the information that you're giving out and actually do something with it without necessarily having you holding their hand the whole way through. Because of course. this isn't a lack of information, right? This isn't people who don't know what the tools are. It's being able to use them. It's being able to change your mind. So how do people do that without you know holding their hand? Well, that's the point of this document is really to start creating an awareness and an action step, right? And, and so those two points sometimes just get glossed over, I guess, and like, oh, awareness and action, great. 
why have I become a massive advocate of meditation and breathing and, and yoga? Because this idea of being present is the foundation of progress. Like you cannot change until you become aware of the things you do unconsciously. So it's this idea of bringing the things that are unconscious to the surface. How do we bring them to the surface? You have to become aware of them. You have to start paying attention to the words you use, to the habits that you do, that you have unconsciously, right? I've written this over in posts over the last few weeks, leading to the idea of like, something as simple as the way you open a door, something as simple as the way you say hello, something as simple as the way you carry your head, something as simple as the way you eat, all of those are unconscious habits you've created. And because we're going through this new time, many people are recreating their entire life. You're creating your habits in your house. You're recreating your habits throughout the day. You're recreating your habits around exercise. This is an opportunity to take this and move it forward. So this is why I've kind of been really pushing this to the public and be like, hey, this is an opportunity. Right now, your brain is changing. Whether you like it or not, your brain is changing. And you're going to come out of this better or you're going to come out of this worse. You will not be the same. So how do we then take what we've got and create an awareness around, hey, I used to do it like this, or I don't really like that I do that. How do I start to then just become aware of it and go, what am I doing? Don't even question why you're doing it. It doesn't matter why you're doing it, right? Question what you're doing and go, is this a constructive habit that's directing me in the path of my end destination, of my objective, right? So my objective is I want to get lean. My objective is I want to build muscle. Does this habit contribute to that objective? Therein lies the problem. Most people don't have an objective, right? Most people are living subjectively. You have an objective life. I can definitively say, does this habit contribute to or take away from my goal? I'm either taking one step forward or I'm taking one step back. And if I'm taking one step back, I'm actually losing two steps because I'm also losing that opportunity to move forward. So now we're regressing. And that's a big awareness. So start paying attention to all of the things you do unconsciously. And that's from the way you think about training, the way you eat the positions in which you eat, the places in which you eat, what you're thinking about when you eat, the way you're breathing when you eat, what do you think before you go to eat, what do you think before you go to train, like all of those things matter in starting to create this mind that ultimately supports your vision, your objectives, and your adventure, right? Life is an adventure. And I think creating awareness around those is imperative. And most of us live way too fast. What does that mean? Your brain is just constantly moving. You can't slow down. Your hands are fidgeting. You're, you're this anxious person who will never change who you are unless you slow down. And slowing down doesn't necessarily mean to do less. Slowing down just means to be able to allow your brain to be conscious, right? So being conscious, it means, hey, I've got to be able to be aware of my body. I've got to be able to be aware of my breath. I've got to be able to be aware of the light around me. I've got to be able to be aware of the people around me and the smells. And all of those things are just this practice in mindfulness, right? And it starts with, as everyone in the world will tell you, pay attention to your breath. Pay attention to the way your hands feel when they're sitting against the desk and really hone in on it and, and only focus in on that single thing. And if you can walk through life like that, my life becomes this meditative experience where you're literally walking and you can feel the foot strike against the floor and you can feel the warmth against your skin. You can feel the fact that my air conditioning in my house is out right now. All these things become just awarenesses and you don't judge them, you just pay attention to them. Now, okay, now when I feel something happening in my life that's unconscious, well, now I can start to change it. And that's how life shifts. Mm -hmm. What do people do if they either don't have a goal, because there are people out there that are feeling very aimless, so many, truly, so or they perhaps were working on a goal for a really long time only to find out that this was something that was really not moving them forward. It wasn't really what they wanted. It was something that was coming from them, you know, extrinsically, yeah. like from the outside. What do people do when they find themselves like completely adrift? Like, of course, I want to have a goal and I want to have a direction and I have nothing and I don't know where to start. 
I think that's a huge problem. Honestly, I I live in that reality sometimes, right? Is I really believe my goals aren't big enough. I really believe that I've set goals in my life that I'm going to achieve with ease in the next three to five years. And then you're going to wake up and throw your hands and you can go, what the hell do I do now? And that was kind of what happened in bodybuilding, right? It's like you achieve these goals and these are great. And most people think these are great accolades and credentials. And then you kind of wake up and go, shit, what do I do now? So I think it really needs to start off. There's a great author named Michael Hyatt who's got some books around designing a life. And it starts off with your obituary, right? What does it look like when you die? Yeah. Who's, at, who's at your wedding? Oh, sorry, who's at your funeral? What do they say about you? You know, how did you impact their life? I got a huge list. So anyone who comes into my mentorship, this is one of the courses or one of the things we start with. Because ultimately, I have no idea, right? And it's like, yeah. how do you want to impact the world? What dent do you want to leave on this rock? And start with that. So that's your obituary. Then maybe it's getting into, okay, let's find, let's nail this in a little bit. What does 25 years look like? So, okay, maybe it's, you know, where am I living? What do I have? Who am I with? What have I accomplished? How much passive revenue do I have? Where's it coming from? Whatever. We design all those things. And then literally, it's really as simple as identifying, okay, well, who is that person in, in 25 years or 20 years or 10 years that I've become? And what habits, skills, and characteristics do they have that I need to accomplish? So it really comes back to that. That's really how we reverse engineer it. Start at the end, back you in. Because I have no idea what to tell you. I have no idea how to guess what your goals are, right? At the end of the day, it comes down to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in the work that we're doing on our page, the biggest thing that we're seeing, and so you can speak to this too, is people who have goals, but have not ever really stopped to think about why those are their goals. So a lot of times people are getting these externally motivated ideas or plans or goals and they- Most of us. Right, I mean, people look, and it's very hard when we live in this world where it's super easy to compare ourselves to other people. We're constantly comparing our success and our looks and our money and whatever to other people. And it's easy to say, don't do that, but it's a lot harder to actually not do it. And so a lot of people are just striving after these goals that make them miserable because they think that's what they're supposed to do. So there's got to be some work done somewhere and some ideas around really spending some time thinking about why your goal is your goal. And then if it turns out this isn't the smart idea, how to pivot, how to change into something that's going to be more beneficial for you. Yeah, I'll tell you, Ash, it's almost impossible or very close to it to decipher through what is actually your goals and what is not your goals. Um, And you're living in this world where you're being manipulated at every level, your thoughts, your consciousness, everything's being manipulated and curated. It's a challenge. You know, you're going to have to spend a lot of time by yourself. The reality is just like me in bodybuilding, once you achieve it, you're going to realize it's likely bullshit anyways, and it's probably not accurate, but then it'll allow you to explore a little bit, a little bit deeper. Ash, I'm going to ask you to continue this podcast for like one minute without me and, and maybe do a dance and entertain everybody. I have to do something. I'll be right back. Somebody at my door. Oh, this is a good one. This is a problem that I have actually, which is tight muscles and stiffness in new and exciting areas for being stuck at home and sitting more and in weird ways and moving less. Like this is the thing that I'm struggling with now. I know we've pivoted completely, but that's what happens when you leave me. I'm like doing workouts or I'm going for walks and I'm feeling like- you're just showing off your biceps. Not well, always, but I'm feeling like stiff and weird and like not as like smooth as I normally am. And I know it's from either a lack of movement or just different movement, like different movement patterns. How do we fix that so that we're not just feeling like old and rickety and in pain because we're stuck at home, like sitting around? You're asking me that? Yeah. Well, anchors. What are your daily movement anchors, right? It's just exactly from sitting too much, right? You probably got some just malaligned posture and it's just what does it look like to have those anchors? Is it walking every day? Is it deadlifting? Is it squatting? Is it yoga? Is it anything like that? That's going to be those movement anchors. And so 
taking every joint in your body through its full excursion every day would be a really good yeah. lesson. That's why I took to yoga. That's why I took to Tai Chi because, you know, if you want to, you know, life is, I think people, you know, people say life is movement and I just, I agree with that, but I think life is also strength. So like as strength starts to diminish in these joints, range of motion will also diminish in those joints, right? So strength and range of motion are a one-to-one -one correlate. So if you're losing strength, your body will just tighten up because it senses weakness and instability. So I want to take through every joint in my body through its full excursion and with tension and with stability, right? Like I don't just want to exist in those positions. I want to be able to move through them with conscious effort. So mm -hmm. that's it. It's like, you know, finding those, those small number of things that you can do every day that allow you to thrive. And it doesn't have to be a lot, right? It can be a 10 minute practice in the morning. My great friend, Kurt, He's a brilliant guy and he's got this great movement practice. And I believe he says it takes him seven minutes every day. And it's like a full body extensive movement ritual. And he still hasn't taught me it. But once I do, I'll, I'll get you guys, I'll film it for you guys and you can see what it looks like. And he's one of the guys I respect most in the world. And he's got this, this movement ritual that takes every joint through its most natural organic range. Yeah. And we'll share that once I get it. I've been doing some like free online yoga classes. Like I wouldn't normally even go to yoga like for real, but I'm feeling like I need that. But there's a similar kind of movement question that actually relates back to what you were saying in terms of like understanding why your goal is your goal and, and how you came to that. And one of the questions that someone asked was, how do I incorporate stretching? And I'm assuming this means static stretching, not just like dynamic warm up stretching, but how do I incorporate stretching into my routine without getting weaker or weakening my muscles? And I mean, wouldn't the question there be like, what do you want to stretch for? Like, why are you stretching? Like, no, I think, I think, yes, but I think there's value, right? I think stretching inherently has value. I think the biggest value that I ascertain from it, and this is completely subjective in my interpretation, is awareness. So again, when you're meditating, you know, you're getting into a muscle, you're getting into your breath. And stretching can be the same opportunity, right? So if I feel a stretch and it feels really tight, and every time I exhale, it gets a little bit longer. Every time I inhale, I contract it. Every time I exhale, I get a little bit longer. I start to become more aware of what it feels like to be in those lengthened positions, what it feels like to allow my muscles to consciously relax, right? And that's, I think, a really important thing for people. You know, just like controlling your heart rate can be very become very conscious, so can controlling the length of your muscles. And this is something I teach everyone in this program, right? I'm writing low intensity cardio, low intensity steady state cardio, or sorry, call it low intensity interval cardio, where we're intentionally trying to get our heart rate to an elevated point, not super elevated, but maybe 150, and then consciously see what we can do to bring it back in a really short amount of time. And in the beginning, people are like, well, how do I consciously control my heart rate? Well, eventually you can do it. And the same thing with, with the benefit of stretching is like being able to turn your muscles on and off, right? Can I turn the tension on maximally with a contraction like I'm training? Can I turn it off maximally when it's time to turn it off? Like you're saying, you're experiencing right now, that tension in your pelvis and stuff like that. It's just, you're probably sitting awkwardly and you haven't quite tuned in. And most people are completely disconnected from the pelvis, which is one of the reasons, again, I started yoga is you can't turn it off. It's just always super hypertonic. Your brain says, hey, I need to be tight to keep this safe. And it just maintains that tension. So if we just get better and better and better doing it daily and consistently, eventually when it becomes tight, you just turn it off. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the true benefit. It, it is a meditative experience. It is an autonomic thing, right? Where you can learn to start to control the autonomic nervous system. If I want to bring down that sympathetic tone, create a little bit more of a parasympathetic environment in my body where it's ready to sleep, where it's ready to relax, where it's ready to meditate, it requires me dialing in and tuning into those muscles and making them feel relaxed. I literally do that if I do a yoga nidra, if I do a, a meditation, I'm watching every one of those muscles consciously relax and because i've done it so many times before i can literally feel it right whether no matter how tight it is 
And same thing with breathing. Again, that's another one I want to touch on is, is like if anyone feels tightness in their spine, tightness in their shoulders, breathing is a way where in one single breath, I can release the tension in my back and my shoulders to the point where I no longer feel tight and now I can go train in one single breath. And people go, how do you do that? Well, it's this really deep expanded breath where I feel my entire musculature and fascial structure of my rib cage and thoracolumbar fascia expanding. It's a hold and a relaxation and it's an expanded position. And then I let it all out and I constrict and get it as small as I possibly can, almost into a vacuum style thing. So I'm taking that muscle through its entire contractile range. Now that I do that slowly, I can do that fast. But I think uh, doing that period is a gift. I mean, it's literally a gift. If I can change my function in a minute, mm. you know, one minute in, one minute out, and change the way my body feels and, and get rid of that tightness, I think it's a beautiful thing that I wish I had when I was in my 20s, you know, aspiring to be a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Was there anybody good at the door? Anybody you want to bring onto the Yeah, keyboard? my AC guy fixing my AC. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's important for you. As I was saying offline, like I'd much rather be sweating than seeing snowflakes outside. Which no, is I'd be outside in my underwear right now. Thank you. Be- Rebecca, hello from Chile, Ontario. Exactly. Thank no, you. I, I would rather be in my underwear in the snow than it's 90 degrees. How do you sleep when it's 90 degrees in your house, Ash? Let, with me, a know. Let me know how that goes. With, my, with an Uler. That's how yeah. I do it. And actually, I'm that buying would be a good idea. I'm buying one of those like ice tubs, you know, that you can like put out on your like porch or back deck. So I'm actually like kind of pumped about that. I don't like to do it. I'm not fully realized yet because I don't like to do it in the winter because it's minus 35 in Ontario. Exactly. But I'm very excited about it. And I also love there's some very nice messages coming in, including one very kind one that ends with an eggplant emoji, which is fantastic. So I just wanted to encourage people to keep leaving nice comments. But I have another question for you. So this is going back to (laughs) (laughs) every comment to the end of the egg plan. Uh, yeah, yeah, or something. Okay, so I got another question in from a listener about general tips from you for coaches. And this is for beginner coaches. So we're not talking about people who are like trying to, you know, get their 10,000th client or trying to make their first million or whatever. These are people who are like really just entering this world and want to not make the mistakes, like learn from you before they have to make them. So what are some of your key tips? Well, I'll tell you the one that I experience more than anyone, more than any other obstacle for these young, always young aspiring coaches, or really anyone aspiring in any position is sometimes a false sense of confidence and sense of entitlement. So if you talk to most trainers in their 20s, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty good. I'm good. I'm great. You suck. And the second you accept that and realize that, you can start becoming better, right? Because if I know something, I stop looking for other things. Honestly, I was the same way. You know, at 17 years old, I started personal training and people at the gym were like, dude, you're, how did you learn this? It was like, I mean, I studied everything I could, but I was still 17 years old. I was an idiot. But because people are blowing smoke up your butt saying you're the best person in the gym, it's awesome. To be honest, like if you're under 30 and you're a trainer, chances are you suck. That's not a a derogatory statement. That's just an awareness that we should all have around like, hey man, if I'm trying to be a philosopher and if I'm trying to be a great wise educator and I'm 28 years old, chances are you're not a great wise educator yet. No fault of your own. But having that awareness around, hey, what am I not good at? It's important. The reason I was successful in bodybuilding is because I was my own worst critic. If I had been the guy who said, oh, I'm great, I'm the best, I'm going to kick everybody's ass, chances are I probably would have sucked. I probably would have got my ass handed to me a lot. So I think confidence is important. Knowing what you're good at is important, but knowing how to see your blind spots is essential too. So guys, if you're a young trainer, you want to get better. Confident in what you're good at. Confident in what you feel you can help with, but staying within your boundaries, staying within what you know, right? That's important. And then starting to create an objective task list of, hey, 
what are the credentials, skills, and attributes I need to acquire to become where I want to go, right? Just like setting any goal. If I want to become Mr. Olympia, I have to look at Mr. Olympias and go, hey, what are all these pieces that I can put together? It's a very visual thing. I'm a very visual person. If I see delts, I can build delts. If I see muscles, I can build muscles, right? With a job or with a, with a personal training situation, you have to start applying this because it's not visual. So to know what somebody's doing, it's very, very subjective. And knowing what they're thinking about when they're training, knowing about what the plan is. What, you know, so you start creating all these objective data, just literally what I did in my personal training certification that's going to launch in, around the world soon. I literally went through and like, hey, here's all the things you need to know to get a client a successful transformation. This is not a pitch. But this is just why I did this, because I have so many people that do this. And the other thing is entitlement. Now, people walking into it to a job or walking into a gym and expecting that someone owes you something because you are maybe you have a great physique, maybe you're confident. I think always going and asking, how can I help rather than how can you help me? Mm-hmm. It's the key. And I've talked about this talked with Chris Gethin about this, like walking into any job interview or any situation. Like if I walk into a gym right now, I assume nobody has any clue who I am. Like, why would they? You know, I'm a guy who was a successful bodybuilder in one little niche, ridiculously small part of the fitness industry. And if I see somebody doing something wrong, my only approach is, hey, what's your goal with that? How does that feel? Maybe I can help. And then I walk away, right? I'm not trying to expect something in return. I'm not saying, hey, you owe me something. I give you my time, man. Like when you're so good that the world starts to tell you that you're great, then things will start to open up for you. So, you know, don't wait around for a response. Don't want to wait around for an accolade or someone to both smoke up your butt or, or to, you know, go give you a compliment. Like just keep giving and giving and giving and giving. And eventually people are going to come seeking you out. That's how it works, right? I mean, at the end of the day, serve humanity, serve the world, give your gift with all your heart, whatever that gift is. Ash, you have a great gift of writing and connecting with people. You give that with all your heart. You know, like I give my experience to people. I'm maybe uh, obsessed with learning and, and obsessed with seeing things at every level, like seeing all the pieces fit together. And that's been a huge advantage in bodybuilding. And that's working to be a huge advantage in business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my gift. So I can look at somebody's business and go, well, you haven't done that, that, and that. Let's work on those. And then maybe seeing which one's the greatest opportunity. That's my gift, right? So how do we take that gift, whatever we're great at, and give that back to the world expecting nothing in return because it will always come back tenfold. Yeah. And I think what you're saying too, about sort of younger people having this frustration of not having like the credibility yet or the wisdom yet, but being able to do what you're saying, which is just voraciously take in information, but also have these experiences and give help to people and offer assistance and just be there. That's the process of gaining wisdom. That's how you do it, right? Is by taking in this information and being open-minded and also being willing to give when, you know. seeing, Seeing one thing through to the end. I think this is, again, where our current society goes wrong is we're all trying to get all these things, so many different irons in the fire, guilty, but seeing one thing through the end, meaning like if you have a client and they're sitting right in front of you, see it through to the end, right? And again, sometimes it's not always your fault. And I get that. Sometimes it's very easy for the client to fall off, but if the client's committed to do the work, see it through. And I think that's how you learn like, okay, again, I run into this problem all the time where we have people who just either don't follow through or don't follow up. And, and you're like, was that their fault? Or is that my fault? Maybe I didn't do a good enough job simplifying the process for them. Maybe I didn't give them what they needed to support them. So internalize that and go, okay, don't point the finger on somebody else. Hey, they, they didn't follow through, forget it. So you didn't do a good enough job delivering something that was easy enough for them to follow through with, right? I mean, you start with this ideal case scenario as a client. Like I want my clients to all start with this perfect diet, the perfect lifestyle, and the perfect training routine. 
Well, guess what? Nobody follows it. Okay, so then how do we start slowly chipping away at those things and saying, okay, what's the lowest common denominator that we can start with and succeed? So sometimes, and I say this to everybody, sometimes I had a guy come to me and say, hey, man, I want, I want you to coach me. I said, no problem. Breathe, walk, and meditate. There's your first month of coaching. No charge. It's on me. If you come back after 30 days, we'll talk about the next steps. Do they follow through? No. Well, maybe I should have just said, hey, man, instead of breathe, walk, and meditate, just walk. And then maybe he would have succeeded. So is it my fault that he failed or is? I don't know. But at the end of the day, giving people things that they're willing to follow or able to follow is the job of a coach. If you're a coach, your job is to give you something that will make you successful. I want to build your confidence up so that the next ascension ladder, the next level of progress is inevitable for you. Like I did that last one. I got this and building confidence. Whereas if I give you 10 and you fail nine of them, now your confidence is falling backwards. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of the coaching process rather than people think, oh, I'm going to give you a diet plan, the best workout, I'm the best coach in the world. You're only the best coach in the world if you're getting people results. The hardest cases in the world need your guidance and your results. If you can get people from a poor sense of well-being and confidence and lacking the ability to believe in themselves, you could take them one step up the rung and then another step up the rung and another step up. You create a life shift, right? It sort of shifts somebody's life. Now you're a great coach. And now maybe eventually you can take them to be an Olympic champion, right? But so many people give accolades to these coaches who are Great coaches taking a world-class athlete to first in the world, or maybe from world-class to second, third in the world. That's important. But what about those people who are at the bottom of the barrel, who don't know anything, have no confidence, who don't believe in their ability to follow through? And somebody takes that person and changes their beliefs and develops the confidence. Now they've got a better quality life because of it. Both of those, I would argue, are equally as valuable, if not one being more than the other. So I think it's important for us all to realize as a young coach out there, If you have one client sitting in front of you, even if it's your family member and you're not getting paid for it, you commit to seeing it through. And no matter what happens, you see it through Mm -hmm. one person because you're going to learn so much in that process. If you're open-minded, if you realize it's all your responsibility and you're ultra critical of your ability to get a result and not putting the blame on somebody else. It actually does, I think, take a fair bit of confidence in yourself to simplify things the way you've described, because it does seem like it's one of the errors that beginners make, whether you're a coach or someone trying something for the first time, is you want all the information, you want all the tricks, you want everything as like complicated and impressive looking as possible. And I see this happen a lot with maybe more beginner coaches or mentors who are just trying to make something look impressive and big, and like worth your money. And, you know, so it's hard sometimes for beginners or people who feel like they haven't earned this credibility to be simple, you know, which isn't to say easy or ineffective. It's actually opposite. But being having that sort of very kind of simple, sustainable, real approach is tough for people because they're like, is this this enough? Or I don't feel like I'm giving enough. I I had that conversation with Phil Learning on the podcast when he came on and he said, well, how do I get buy-in? Because that's a big thing. If someone comes to me, they've already bought into what I'm teaching because usually they know who I am. Most young coaches don't have buy-in. So I don't know how to solve that problem, but I could think of about 30 different ways how I'm going to try. One of them is going to fit for every person, right? What I would do is make a list of all the different ways you can create buy-in because everybody's different. If you walk into my gym and I've never met you before, you have no idea who I am, you have no idea what I've done. We're all starting in the same playing field, right? Does the way you look matter? Yes. Does the way you speak matter? Yes. Does the way you treat people matter? Yes. Does the way you make them feel matter? Yes. Right? All of those things matter. Which one's most important? Depends who you're talking to. No idea, right? No idea what the answer is. So how do you create buy-in? I don't know. Get them to do something that makes a shift in their life. So one thing that I would love to do, and anyone who's out there who is a uh, young, aspiring online coach or an in-person coach online, particularly this might work better, 
put together a free document, a free PDF on all of the things that could potentially, or maybe not all the things, maybe two or three of the things that you think would be the first line of action for your clients. Breathe, walk, and meditate. Put together a document on that and give it away for free. And say, hey guys, if you're looking to change your body, specific to your demographic, if it's 19-year-old football players or if it's 27-year-old swimmers or 60-year-old pianists, it has to be specific to that demographic. So hey guys, if you're experiencing this, here's the first three steps you take. Just give that away. Give it away to the world and go, hey guys, this is how I'm gonna change. So if it works for them, you've created buy-in and credibility. If it doesn't work for them, you can go back to the drawing board, right? And, or they'll say, hey, dude, that was shit. That didn't help me at all, but thanks anyways, right? So you have to think through, like, for my demographic, whatever that demographic is, how can I be different than everybody else? And how can I provide value for everyone as much as I possibly can in the simplest way possible? And if I move the needle for them, they're going to go, oh, shit, this was really good. This really helped me. What's next? Right? How can I dive a little bit deeper? Can you please give me the next steps as to what I should do now? That's how business works. Is like, I'm going to provide all the value I can for free. If it works, awesome. If not, go back to the drawing board. Or maybe do a different one. Keep that one there and then shift it a little bit laterally and pick three new things. That's a slightly different demographic, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking to a demographic of 25-year-old guys, that's a very different, very, very different demographic than I'm talking to 30-year-old guys. As much as that sounds like the same, versus 35, versus 40, is all very different. So each of those may have three things that are completely different. So if I say breathe, walk, and meditate to a 25-year-old boy, He's going to, man, sorry. He's going to say, fuck you, dude. Like, I breathe, I walk, and I meditate just fine, right? Tell me something else. Give me something more intense. Whereas if I say it to a 35 or a 40-year-old guy, he'd be like, oh, maybe. Like, maybe I'll help slow myself down, right? Doesn't make me right or wrong. Doesn't make them right or wrong. It's just a different place in your life. So being aware of those demographics, those buckets, I guess, those ideal avatars of, of that client, and then what is the thing that they need right now, give it away for free. And so create three of them, create four of them. And then from there, you can start to ascend people to that next level of buy-in, right? Whatever that looks like for that, for that person or that demographic. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've got a couple questions here, but there's one that came from social media, from Instagram that I want to ask you before we answer these ones, just because it kind of relates. And also I'm interested in your answer. This person's asking about your process specifically or your inner dialogue when you are creating these this new content whether it's this program you're working on or a piece of writing when you're creating something from scratch what is your process how do you sit down and do it what are you saying to yourself what are you doing what processes are in place so the one i'm doing right now i guess is the best one to look at it is it started off with this conversation around when someone walks into my gym I've probably used this metaphor before on the podcast. You know, I've, I've used it in the document, just edited the document or the idea of the boilermaker, right? So there's a story and actually you know what I'm talking about, story of a boilermaker and this man owns this big steamship and, and steamship goes down, gets broken, calls all the people in town. Nobody knows how to fix it. And he calls the master boilermaker. The master boilermaker comes in. He listens carefully, feels around with his hands a little bit, takes out a tool, he takes out a hammer, taps it once. Steamship comes on, the man celebrates, everybody's happy. The boilermaker leaves, sends off the invoice, and the invoice reads, tapping the engine, $1, knowing where to tap, 999 Point being, that's what you're after, right? Is like, there's this, all this information out there, much of it misinformation, and people are trying to sift through, and people are hearing conflicting things, well, macros are everything, and cardio is important, cardio is unimportant, you, know, you should only do cardio if you're walking to, I don't know, like whatever stupid, sound bites they hear. 
And now how do you put all that stuff together in, in a way that allows you to make your own decisions? Because the reality is some cardio may be the most important thing for one demographic of people and maybe not necessary for somebody else. Ketogenic diet might be the most ideal thing for something, and whereas keto may be silly for somebody else. So how do you then take all of those things that you're hearing and learn how to apply them to your demographic, to yourself, or to the people who are right in front of you in that moment? That's really what I'm trying to do in this course. And that's why I say the course is ridiculously long. Like I put way too much time and content into that thing. But I figure the way I should approach it is just do it all. And then we can start chunking back down and go, okay, what's the most important things to put in this course? And if someone wants a resource later, they can come and look online. And honestly, I'm spending days and days and years and years and, or hours and hours and years and years on the damn thing. It's probably never going to end. But I'm having fun doing it because it is also clarifying a lot of the stuff for me. So what I often do with myself, just to go one step deeper on that, is if I run into something where I'm like, how would I approach that? I honestly just think about it. And usually where the answer comes up is when I'm training which is why training or walking, when I kind of start to get out of my conscious mind and get into my unconscious a little bit, which is why transcendental meditation has been very useful for me as well, getting out of that conscious and into the unconscious. You'll see my whiteboard. I'll take a picture of it and see my whiteboard at the gym. It's covered in my workout musings. So if you guys have never been to my gym, I've got like three huge whiteboards, like the whole room is a whiteboard. And right now it's literally covered end to end because like in the middle of the workout, I'm like, I have to explain this. And then you're like, this point, this point, this point, this point. So the one I've got up there right now is, how do you choose a workout? Exercises, which exercise to do in a workout? And like, well, you just kind of pick any one. It's random. No, it's like <laughs> there's probably 60 points up there of like the things that are going through my head when I decide what exercise, what part of the range, what load, what reps, what rest periods, like 60 different things, including who somebody was coming in, where they want to be going out, and everything in between. That's one thing that's up there. I forget what the other one up there is up there now. There's another, oh, maybe it's just like getting into program design because that's something that my coaches want more help with, my gym coaches. So our program design is complex and there's nobody in hypertrophy that does it. Like nobody, everybody's basing it off strength training or athleticism or track, different, completely different. So yeah, that's kind of how my, if that is a circuitous way of answering your question. I'm going to try to bring it back a little bit more to logistics because I think one of the questions people are asking is if, if they want to write their own program or if they want to write a blog post or if they want to write a book or whatever, and they're trying to figure out how to set sort of parameters around how to do that. And I think one of the things you said and you touched on that's important for people to know because people tend to have this sort of paralysis if I can't do it perfectly or if I don't know how to start, I'll never start. One of the things you touched on, and it's something that I do in my writing too, is like just getting it out get it out, like write everything, write too much, write poorly, write way too many details, and then you cut and then you move and then you piece it together after that. But so many people think if I don't have it all in my head, like how to write it perfectly or how to do this perfectly, I'm just, I can't even start, I'm paralyzed by it. And I think that every good writer that I've ever read about or researched or, or learned from has always said like, everything you're gonna write, the first draft is gonna be garbage, just get it down, just write, just do it, sit down and do it. And then you kind of like piece it together after that. It seems like that's kind of an approach that you used to. Ash, if you saw the extent of word vomit that exists on my computer, you would be amazed. It's just constant, right? And then you read something you wrote a year ago, you go, God, that sucks. Or I read something I wrote three years ago. God, that was amazing. I was on fire that day. Like it's always, who knows, right? And some yeah. days my brain is just lit to write. And some days I can't write for my life. And that's the worst thing with deadlines is sometimes you sit down and you're like, I can't write for the death of me right now. But I got to do this. It's due tomorrow. And you're just like, gosh, this sucks. Again, I'm no expert. You're an expert. So I'm learning. 
it goes back to everything, like everything comes full circle. It's food, it's exercise, it's everything. A lot of people get paralyzed by if I can't eat the perfect meal right now, or if I can't go and crush the most perfect workout and get a personal best and like whatever, then just screw it. I can't do it. And that's like the people who are really successful aren't the people who just did something once perfectly. They're people who keep trying, keep working and agonize over it and have a million word documents full of garbage. Like that, those are the people who are successful. So I think more people need to hear that from, you know, successful people. Yeah. So I literally said, so I recently hired somebody who I wanted to come in and kind of like start taking all this content and putting it to usable assets in my business. And I literally said, you probably have 24 months of content there. I should never have to write something again. I mean, I've been writing, there was a period there where I was writing five to six hours a day constantly when I was writing that book. And that still exists. I just decided it wasn't what I wanted to say. So lots of content that exists. And again, it's just constant, like have a thought, write it, have a thought, write it. And I've noticed that like, and you get this, you think of something, you're like, oh, this is a really good thought. You got to write it down now. Because if you, 10 minutes later, it's gone. It's never come back, gone mm -hmm. into the abyss. So yeah. that's, where the, that's where the workout gym writing thing comes in, where I'm always writing on the whiteboard at the gym, or I'm taking notes or something. And I've got just so many random notes in my phone. Like, and I went through when I was in Columbia, and I tried to just like delete and organize and create folders and stuff. And it went, got down to like zero in my main note, and I was pumped. It was like six. And now it's back up to 100. Yeah. And I got to go, damn, I got to do it again. But Well, yeah. it was worth it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what you've got your blog up now on muscleintelligence.com. There's going to be constant yeah. content up there that's yours, that's other people's, you know, podcast guests and all kinds of stuff going up there. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's a useful exercise. A useful exercise is to just brain dump and also to go back through, though, this part that you're talking about. Like, it's almost not really useful if you just brain dump. You kind of need to reflect right. back on it. You need to go back to it. And I found a document yesterday that was 50 pages that I forgot that I wrote. And it's really good. And I was like, man, I I've been, <laughs> I wish like, this was here. How do you not remember 50 pages? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes I just write things and just over and over. And I'm like, oh, I wish I'd known this was here. Anyways, yeah, I guess that's an important thing to acknowledge too, is as you write, go back and read it again and reflect on it and edit it and see if you can improve it and see if it's useful. If it's not, it's okay. I think most people realize that, or don't realize maybe that what you're capable of doing right now in one day is is insignificant, but what you can do in a year is so tremendous or five years and 10 years. And I think in this instant gratification society we live in, everyone wants to get it done now. And I'm guilty of that too. And sometimes I just think it's so important to sit back and breathe and realize it's going to be okay. I don't want to rush something out. I want to do it really well. The people I respect most in life, and one person that pops in my mind is John Berardi, staring at his book here over to my left. That guy is just so calculated in everything he does and, and he doesn't rush anything out. And you know, he managed to build a $200 million business in seven years or something like that. And that's because it's calculated. It's never like, I have to get out right now. I have to do it right now. Like just fucking breathe. Tomorrow is still going to be there. And if it's not, guess what? That's fine. Because <laughs> yeah. it didn't happen. So and we see all these questions coming through on Facebook here, guys. We will get to these questions as well before we sign off. Yeah. Can you actually pop up? I can't do it. The one with the fish, the wild fish question, because that actually is very relevant since you've been eating a lot more fish lately. Oh, and man. I, how good is it? Have you tried it yet? You can't get it, can you? I can't get it in Canada. And yeah. that's not quarantined. But I do eat a lot of fish because, you know, I'm from the East Coast. So I, oh, I can speak so to this. But. The salmon was just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Post this question so people can see it. For I don't know where I'm looking at. You, it's like uh, underneath Rebecca, and then there's a saying, Ben, I know that wild fish is really beneficial for health and diet. Do you see it? Oh, yeah, I got it now. Scroll up, yeah. You enjoy fish, no, right? Listen, whoever this is, I don't see your name. I see Facebook user. Yeah. 
I hated fish. What? Like there was nobody in the world that disliked fish more than me. I used to like, no, I'm not kidding. I used to like throw up. I had so much hated fish. Even through my career as a bodybuilder, I wouldn't eat sushi early in my career. I wouldn't eat tuna. I, I hated it until I was probably 27, 28. And eventually, for those of you who've ever done a competitive bodybuilding show or done multiple competitive bodybuilding shows, there comes a point, you know, call it the tipping point, where you're so fucking hungry that someone, well, could put, someone could put anything in front of you and you're so excited to eat it. Fish then became my best friend in the world. And now I like it. So even right now, if I go to the grocery store and purchase fish, I still don't want to eat it. It'll sit in my fridge for months. I've purchased salmon from the grocery store and sat in my fridge for months and it giving away or throwing it away. I don't like it. No, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to clarify this. I've learned to like this fish because it's not the same as what you're going to get. It doesn't taste fishy. It's like just this beautiful, fresh ocean flavor rather than like nasty, not fresh, farmed Chinese toilet water fish, which is, <laughs> it's so different, such a different experience. I don't know, the flavors, the textures, it's just, you can taste the freshness. It's unbelievable. And I'm so grateful for, you know, John from Billings reached out and, and I think I purchased from them before he ever reached out, but maybe he, I don't remember how exactly what happened, but you know, I've been buying from him for 18 months now, like quite a long time. And I was the one who said, Hey man, you got to put together this box because people will do this. And people will purchase this and we want to give our listeners an opportunity to pick it up. So it's been awesome that he was able to pull that together. And I know a lot of the listeners have tried it. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed my suggestions. I know we've had a ton of people reaching out about Belcampo as well, which is awesome. And yeah. they're not sponsored the podcast, but they're great friends. Uh, Anya's become a great friend. And again, people have been saying both of those are highest quality. The reason we chose to do this, like we reached out to these companies to say, hey guys, can we give our listeners a discount because of this nonsense that could be happening in a grocery store right now? If you can't leave your house, if you, one, don't want to buy shit from the grocery store to begin with, two, if you can't actually leave your house, we want to get you guys a discount on either the absolute best they could. And I think it's very generous and just you're getting the highest quality stuff. So for the people out there who actually care about the quality, you're not going to beat this. This is vetted. You have my word. It's not me promoting something. It's literally the best quality. Belcampo is literally all I'm eating now. I have a couple things from Blackwing, which I have no affiliation with at all. A couple things from Blackwing because I get really good elk steaks from them and a couple other wild meats that I get from them I love. But for the most part, all my meat is Belcampo. And I, eat, I drink their bone broth every single day. It's so good. The lamb is like, have you ever had the lamb yet at the New York restaurant? Ah, dude, so good. Like, Lamb's like one of my favorite animals to eat. Uh, I don't know. I not like I never had it like this. It was just fantastic. Anyway. Yeah, always tags me in her in her organ meat post, which makes me really happy because we're kindred spirits there. But going back to the fish question, talk about what kind of fish you like. And then also for people who are interested in the company you're talking about, the website, they're called Billings, but the website where you can get like the special Ben curated box is we'll put it in the in the link, I guess, or in the comments is wildalaskanseafoodbox.com forward slash Ben. The promo code is Ben. You get 20 bucks off if you want to order some fish, but it's all like wild, sustainably caught from Alaska. And there's a whole range of stuff, right? It's not just salmon. There's other fish as well, right? Yeah. So there's some kingfish. There's some shrimp and some crab. And I think there may, and salmon, obviously. I think there may be one other fish. I have him working on getting us some salmon rows, some salmon eggs, which would be awesome. I don't know if he's able to do it, but I've been bugging him. Like, hey, man, add that in there. Those are kind of our primary best sources. And actually, is it monkfish or rockfish? I forget. But monk they're all fish they're the best. Pardon You're me? Monkfish liver. I'm always trying to get you to eat any animal's organs. But, yeah. but going, yeah. back, going back to the fish, if you don't like fish, right? So one of the things I think that you're saying, Ben, is that a lot of times it's really just about 
the quality of the protein you're eating. And then secondary, it's the preparation. So people, everyone grew up thinking Brussels sprouts were disgusting because we ate boiled Brussels sprouts. Of course, that's disgusting. You can figure out different ways to get creative to make things taste more delicious. And there's a huge range of seafood too. If, If you believe that seafood is worth incorporating into your diet for the nutrition benefits, it's not just salmon or it's not just gross tilapia from the grocery store. There's a such a huge range of- Don't eat tilapia, anybody, please. There you go. Shellfish, seafood, yeah. like fresh oysters and mussels and smoked salmon and, you know, white fish is going to taste more mild than pink fish. And so it might just be worth kind of experimenting with things and shred it up and put it in a patty that you're going to fry like pan fry on your cast iron skillet or like barbecue it or add some healthy coconut aminos to it. Like play with it. Got to get creative if you think it's worth it. But so- I'll tell you, there's two ways I've been doing it. And it's just because the quality of the meat is so high, I feel like it doesn't need seasonings and, and marinades and like that. My salmon, I'll cook in one of two ways. I either put it in a pan and it's just high heat, sear on both sides for like a minute or two and it's done because I like to have it relatively rare. It's such high quality. I mean, it's just melts in your mouth. And then afterwards, I obviously had my fresh olive oil. I, I'm definitely addicted to olive oil. I have a problem with ash. I think I might need an intervention. Yeah. Um, and the other way is the super wave oven. I don't know if I've talked about this thing before, yeah. but I have a super wave oven which is like an infrared oven that sits on your countertop. It's about the size of a microwave. It's like 80 bucks or something. It's, and it's the best investment I've ever made for people who eat a lot. So when I was competing, this is all I used to use because you can prepare a chicken breast in 10, 11 minutes. This salmon fillet I probably have in six minutes and the cleanup is super easy. It's awesome. So I use the Superwave oven. So they have the new wave oven, which many people have heard of. The Superwave, the difference between them is this Superwave is glass. The new wave is plastic stay away from the new wave, use the super wave. And I think it's the same price. It's awesome. I used to make pizza on there for my kids. Like it's really, really a great investment for so many different things. Making French fries out of, you know, fresh cut potatoes with a little bit of coconut oil on top and mm-hmm. my kids dig it. So that would be a suggestion. We have so one question I want to get to here. So Angela asked, Angela, I'm going to answer your question or I sort of ask you to clarify the question, the 10 best books. I'll write it in my next book, but let's listen. Look, that's like a f- one million of all the books I have. Those are the ones I'm scheduled to read this year. So I want to know what you want to know, like what topic I need to know. Is it, is it yeah. yeah, but self-help gets pretty niche right? Like yeah. brain health and esoteric stuff and spirituality and like so many that the yeah. list is long. Maureen, I'll answer your questions. Let's just get on a call sometime and talk about your macros so we can get you moving. Can we just talk about how American you are saying the word fillet? Come on no, that's, that's Australian. Nobody in America says fillet. That's Australian. Oh, so you, yeah. you're picking up Australian now? Too? I don't know why, yeah, I don't know why. It's the habit. Okay, can I tell you about something? You just talked about a cool cooking implement, but one thing that I bought for quarantine that has been very exciting. I don't want to hear about that, Ash. Keep those things to yourself. <laughs> that's for another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's food related. A dehydrator. I made beef heart jerky the other day. And I kid you not, if I could send it in the mail, I would send you some. It was the best beef jerky I've ever eaten. And not just because I made it. Like the, or just plain? I marinated it overnight with like some special, it's a secret. I'll put the recipe out someday. But for whatever reason, the quality, I mean, the quality of the meat was really good, but it just made it, it was so like this umami. It was so delicious. And I could make my own beef jerky. I'm, I'm going to learn how to hunt this summer. I'm going to go out and get some elk. Like stuff's going to get serious around here. So that's I'm what I was going to say. If you ever get some obscure wild animal heart, I'm in. Oh, yeah. I'm on it. I'm on it. I will keep you posted. I'm yep. In. I'm literally taking the course. I put, I put this one up there for you. Okay. This, yeah. This, like, come on. This is the so best. Great. It is um, nice to like see each other's faces. It's, it is better than doing it like over the phone. So, Ronnie, how much protein is too much? Yeah, man. 
you're 6'8", 250, so how much is too much? Again, if you're trying to be a bodybuilder and you have healthy kidneys, I would say I wouldn't go over 450, 425, 450, which is a lot. Here's the thing, man. You could get away with eating 250 grams for sure. You could probably get away with eating 200 grams. But the way I approach protein is a little more complex. So it's going to be, I want you to earn it. Meaning if you started with me today, I'd say, Ronnie, I want you to eat 250 grams of protein a day, probably somewhere around 250, 300 grams of carbs and fill the rest with fat. As you ascend in your ability to train, you accumulate more volume, you accumulate greater skill that I maybe push the protein to 275, 300. As you push even further, we'll push it to 350. Then we'll, so we'll ascend. It won't just be like, hey, go to 425 because your body needs to adapt. So your ability to, to break down protein is completely dependent on your ability to produce hydrochloric acid, which is dependent on gut health, which is dependent on the quality of food you take in, your stress, et cetera, et cetera, a whole bunch of other things. So there's never just one answer, but I would say start at 250, progress your way up. And you 450 is not too much if you're training seven to eight to 10 times a week, if your body needs that type of, of recovery support, ultimately, right? That's how you gauge it. If your training intensity and frequency is so high, so 450, I should asterisk that or, or tell you, that's training almost twice a day, probably I'd say eight to 10 workouts a week. That would be how high I would go. If you're training five or six, you obviously need less. It's just based on your recovery, right? Protein is not useful just to have more, right? It, it doesn't necessarily contribute in any positive way. So why, right? Just push more for the sake of more. That's not the goal. The goal is to give your body exactly what it needs to grow constantly. Before you go and check on your air conditioning, do you want to just answer? Okay, this one's a good one. I mean, I feel like you need a bit more information for this one, right? Let's read it out loud for people who aren't here, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of important. I sometimes forget everyone's not here. How would you recommend a female who has hormonal issues like low estrogen, low progesterone, and also suffers from amenorrhea, strength training in the gym, and recommendations on nutrition for this person? I'm not going to answer this question. Sorry, I don't know who the person asking the question is. The reason I'm not going to answer it is because there's likely more nutritional considerations here than there are training considerations. And I don't want to guide you without having any idea on your history. So my suggestion is you got to see someone who's an expert in both areas, right? So someone who can guide your nutrition and make sure you're doing things healthy because they have low progesterone and low testosterone or low estrogen. Maybe your calories are too low, right? Amenorrhea, maybe your calories are too low. Maybe there's some other health condition that I don't know about. But first and foremost, make sure your calories are coming from the highest quality possible, reducing the toxic burden on your body, allowing your body to start to heal itself so it's not in a highly sympathetic state. It's in more of a parasympathetic state. And then and only then is it responsible for me to start making recommendations for nutrition and training. Until then, just like, unfortunately, I don't know who you are, so I won't say your name. But if I can help, I probably can't, but I might be able to direct you to someone much smarter than me who can. Can I also recommend a couple of people that they might want to check out? Again, we don't know what if they have a relationship with a doctor at this point or we what. Don't even, we don't even know what their issue is ultimately, right? So. Done, yes, but there are some women, like female doctors, who have great presences online that you might just want to like look at checking out. So you've got Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, you've got Dr. Jolene Brighton, a friend of mine, Dr. Ellie Michelle, who focuses on hormonal issues as it pertains to women's health. So these are all people that you could at least even just go start like absorbing their content, maybe talk to them, ask them some questions too. It might be good. How much fish oil do you recommend daily? I, th I do fish oil cyclically. Like right now, I'm obviously going through a phase of consuming a lot more fish. So I pull out the supplementation. Sometimes I don't take any for months and months at a time. And sometimes I'll take up to six to 10 grams a day, sometimes more, right? So I like to do it cyclically based on how my body feels. If I feel like my inflammation is up, like Ashley is right now, I'd add in one to two grams per meal. I like to consume it with meals for greater absorption, I find. And that way you also don't get kind of fishy gut. If you're taking good quality 
fish oil usually don't get that anyways. But mm -hmm. this last question down here, the second one from the bottom, yeah, um, following up what we were talking about earlier. I hear that people should give up free content. My question is, why produce content when there's so much free content already out there, where one listeners aren't going to produce ideal clients or paying customers? Well, why wouldn't it produce paying customers? So that's the whole point of giving something away for free, right? So here's the way this works. You remove the barrier to entry. I want to make this as simple and as obvious to someone as possible. So if, if I know that you want to do something really specific, I know this is your pain and I can present you with the answer for free, most people will go, yes, please, I'll take that. When Ashley goes, hey, I have five amazing recipes for you know, heart. If I want heart recipes, that sounds amazing to me. I'll take that, right? So why wouldn't she do that? Right. So she knows very niche that that person wants heart recipes. So you need to figure out what your niche is and why wouldn't you give it for free? Because I want someone to go, I want them to raise their hand and go, yes, please. I need that. That's me. Right. So when I put out a body part specialization program, like here's a calf program, either you want to build your calves or you don't. Right. It's pretty obvious. So give it for free. And then what's the upsell? Well, maybe there's one. Or maybe it's like, hey, here's the, the guide or here's the workout. And if you want me to teach you how to do this over the next six months and actually put three inches on your calves and I'll coach you through it. Or mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, like there has to be just a give. So the best way to approach this, man, I say this to all of my clients, give, 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 ask, right? If I give you enough value over and over and over again, and eventually I'm putting out something that's like super valuable, like, oh my gosh, I would love to do this. People will pay for it, right? That's just the way it works, man. But you got to give, give, give before you ask and, you know, not ever thinking about, hammering it down somebody's throat, man. Like give everything you can selflessly. Like, what do I give selflessly? I try to give everything, right? I don't try to hold anything back. I don't ever think like, I'm not gonna give this piece of information out yet. I'm not gonna give out this connection. I'm not gonna give out, who cares? Why? You know, have an abundance mentality. I think this is also where knowing your unique value kind of comes into play too, because I get that a lot of people are thinking like, well, I just add my voice to the noise. But if you really feel like you have something of value to offer, then you are going to provide something that's unique that people okay. are going to be uniquely drawn to. And yeah. if you're not putting out crap quality content just because it's free and you don't care about it, if you put out quality content that has this unique value, then you're going to find your people. Well, that's exactly it, Ash. And the reality is 95% of stuff out there is crap. And people don't know that, right? Because people are putting out things that are fast. People are putting out things that are their belief rather than actual, properly, scientifically validated things that actually work, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's the thing. Over 95% of stuff out there is crap. That's the problem with the consumer having to sift through that. Then that becomes a problem because many consumers become jaded, right? Like, oh, I'm never buying one of this thing. I used to buy it from somebody else and it sucked. But then hopefully when you do a good job, People come back to you, listen, and we don't always do a good job. We do our best to always follow through and always do a great job. Sometimes some things fall through the cracks and that's with everybody, but you know, we do our best to always, 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 and everyone, this is my advice to everyone, always do your best to just put up the best possible stuff you can and realize it can always continue to get better. Mm -hmm. Body scan. No, I, do I recommend a body scan over other methods such as BMI, in body, body pod, pod, DEXA, hydrostatic wing. No, I think, you know, if you're going to look at that stuff, I think DEXA and hydrostatic are probably the best. My favorite style of yoga, Rebecca, I usually have done an Ashtanga practice, which I really enjoy doing because it's kind of self-guided. I mean, the reason I go to, to yoga is, yes, for the physical piece, but mostly for the mental piece. When I leave there, my brain and my body are so connected. My body just feels dialed in, like I'm ready to take on the day after 45 to 70 minutes of you know, great mindful 
extended breath, five breaths of pose yoga. And I actually wrote that into this most recent program, super simple, five poses, but I wanna kind of start getting people's feet wet. And the way I talk about it with this is like, right now with this five yoga poses, I'm doing what I call putting the thin end of the wedge in the door. So I'm just introducing people to it. I'm not saying, hey, like I'm gonna throw yoga down your throat because most people are like, get out of here with this yoga shit. But if you do these five poses, I guarantee you will see a difference in the way your body feels, in the way you connect with your abdomen, in the way you connect with your spine, with your trunk and pelvis. And I highly suggest everybody, at least a little bit, particularly what I'm including in this program, that hopefully, depending on how fast my designer can turn it around, and Ashley can turn it around, unless you know she's editing it, hopefully by this weekend or Monday. You need to put out a video of you doing the yoga poses, because that's what we all want. Yeah, of course. You. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Naked yoga, no problem. Just kidding. Okay, all right, good. (laughs) Good to know. Rebecca's getting all the questions in. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Walking pre or post meals. To be honest, I do post. I think pre could be useful as well, but I usually do post just because it tends to help with digestion a little bit, get your body moving. But again, it doesn't need to be a excessively fast walk. It just be a brisk, comfortable walk. Just kind of feel good too. And it's also if you're somebody who like wants to have a drink or wants to have dessert or is sitting around and kind of feeling like snacky after you eat, the best thing to do is go for a nice walk. It takes your mind off the unnecessary additions that you might be adding in there. That's a great piece of advice. Um, I think I said every day at the end of my routine, do drop sets to failure simply because I do not want to leave anything on the table. Not a bad thing, right? No, absolutely not, man. Listen, I think the thing that people get wrong in training is they believe there's some way that's right. The only thing that, that I believe is right in exercise, there's only one thing that I think is definitive, and that's biomechanics, because that's the only thing that's definitive, right? So when, when, we, when we say, oh, this is Ben's way of training, it's not Ben's way, this is just correct. This is biomechanically correct. That's what I teach. And then everything else after that is completely bullshit. It's all subjective. Work hard, volume, sets, load, frequency, all these things are just subjective variables, and there's no right answer. The right answer is subjecting yourself to something you've never subjected yourself to before or a novel type stimulus so your body will adapt. And again, explaining how to do that is maybe we should do that for the next episode. Actually, that'd be a good content. A piece of content is like explaining how to choose when to choose or when to choose your next workouts. Meaning, should I be doing an aerobic workout? Should I be doing a strength-based workout? Should I be doing a metabolic-based workout, a hypertrophy-based workout? How do I know? What are kind of the indicators for me to know when to switch phases? Yeah, people, that's People may find that useful. Cool. Good All chat. Right, All right, guys. So this podcast is brought to you guys by Billings Wild Alaskan Seafood Box.com slash Ben. $20 off. Use the code Ben and we'll hook you guys up with $20 off and free scallops. I think you're getting eight ounces of scallops, like a half a pound for life. So every time you get it, that free scallops will come in there as well. And that's a huge value add as well. And so supporting Billings because they're doing a great job during this time of keeping us all fed with high quality fish, high quality seafood super supportive of john over there at billings seafood you guys check them out give them a follow on instagram and on facebook as well because they're awesome people and we're so grateful for them taking care of you guys taking care of us we hope you're living your greatest life in a body you love ash i'm grateful for you i love seeing you do such amazing things with this life that you have and this community you're building so thank you for being a part of my life thanks ben appreciate you girl have a great day you too Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.